Hello, and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. My name is Sarah Ann Minkin. I'm the Director of Programs and Partnerships at the Foundation. Today is July 19th, 2023, and I am grateful to be here today with Basil Adra and Yuval Abraham. Basil and Yuval have worked together on a number of projects, and most recently, they're the co-authors of an excellent article about Masafra Yatta and the South Hebron Hills, published last week as the cover article of The Nation. Entitled, The Destruction of This Palestinian Community Was Greenlighted by Israel's Supreme Court, their article is a joint project of The Nation, 972, and Local Call, where Basil and Yuval publish regularly. Listeners of this podcast may recall Basel from past webinars and podcasts. So glad that you're back here again with us, Basel, today, and Yuval, that you're joining us for the first time. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to start by asking you to introduce yourselves to our audience. Just tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and how it is that you came to write this article and, and to work together on this project and, and many other projects. You <laughs> so I'm I live here in a community a small community called Twani and one of the communities of Masafriata. I born and raised here. I'm still living here. Uh, and I'm activist, also journalist, starting the last three years writing articles for 972 and Dokal Call about what's happening mostly in Masafriata, but also from other places in the West Bank from about the occupation and settlers' attacks. And in the past year, the, this decision about Masafir Yatta from the Israeli High Court came out after two decades of the legal battle. So we felt that we need more, like to, to do more advocacy work about what's happening in Masafir Yatta to try to raise this, this issue to the, to, the, to the world. So this is how we came to write this, specifically the article on, on the nation, uh, to, to write like, everything that we could about Masafriyata to let the people know about about the, this community. Yeah, um, and I, I can just say that, you know, I, I met Basel for the first time six years ago, five yeah. years ago, something like that. Um, I, I grew up uh, 30 minutes from here. I'm an Israeli citizen. I grew up in the Negev. And I, you know, I got exposed to home demolitions happening to Palestinian citizens of Israel around where I, I was born. Um, and Afterwards, I saw this policy happening in Jerusalem. And when I studied Arabic and I started meeting more and more Palestinians, I realized how systematic it is. And the first time I met Basel, I think all these years ago, like I came here, Basel, you know, we talked on the phone and there was a demolition happening in, in Basel's home. Um, uh, not his home, but, but right next to it. They were demolishing some sheep structure. And this, this policy of the systematic home demolitions I find it to be very, very shocking and very violent, and really a symptom of, of, of Israel's colonial policies all over. And I think, you know, what we're trying to do also in this article is to, through telling this story of, of, of the community that Basel lives in, and, and that is at imminent risk of, of, of an ethnic cleansing or forced transfer, also say something about the general policies happening uh, in this land that we are um, li li living in. Um, yeah. 
Thank you both so much. And uh, we're going to to uh, talk more about the home demolitions and the and 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 how they work specifically in Masafariata and and what it means more broadly. I'm going to ask you more questions about that. So thank you for for starting us there and and Basel also for referencing the uh, May 2022 Supreme Court Israeli Supreme Court decision, which we're also going to come back to. But um, but before we talk more about Masafariata. Here you are, an Israeli citizen and a Palestinian living under occupation, uh, working together on this on this article. And um, Basel had an experience last just a few days ago on Saturday. Today is Wednesday, just a few days ago um, on the on the Jewish Shabbat. Um, that was really an experience that is uh, emblematic of the difference in in uh, in in regimes that you live under. Um, we planned this this podcast. When the when the article came out last week, but what happened since then? Uh, one of the things that happened since then is that Basel, and I'm I'm going to ask you to tell us about it in a moment, Basel. But you were in the village in Masafriata of uh, Mufagara, and you were covering an attack there by by settlers. And one of the first times that you and I recorded a podcast, Basel, you were also had just been in Mufagara co covering an attack by settlers, um, and you talked to us and. I'll I'll put a link to that podcast uh, in in the show notes. It was really a, a pogrom that settlers committed in in that village. But a few days ago, you were back there again, um, documenting another settler attack, and you were detained and arrested by. Well, tell us tell us about what happened, please, and and uh, and how you're doing now. Well, so. I I was called by the shepherds in around Mufagara and like around their village. They told me that there is settlers grazing in their field and their crops. So I went there uh, to film this settler that come like all every day almost like this kind of harassment is happening every day. Like even in the moment that we are sitting and talking, there are settlers in these fields that keep coming. And there is a policy behind it. It's not happening by chance that. The, the Israeli state gave the settlers like the what they call it the state land to live in it, and they use the settlers' violence and the physical violence uh, by settlers to take over the Palestinian special properties where the state can't take take this land directly. So they send the, the settlers to do this daily harassments against Palestinians until they would give up and leave from this land, and they would also annex this land as like to legitimize the stealing the stealing of this land so this is part of the part of of the bigger picture and the policy of like stealing the land and controlling it and taking it for those settlers so i went there i i start film another settler came with a stick start to harass the people and taking photos of their faces and walking between their sheep another one came with a car and start to drive crazy after them and there have been clashes because Palestinians were running in front of the car and behind the car so he claimed to the army in the moment they arrived that they, the Palestinians throw stones at him. So a heavy force is like about 30 soldiers came to my village 20 and invaded the houses and started to search for uh, Palestinian like youth under claim they throw stones. And I stayed there and killed all shepherds and the settlers continued to graze in the special providers of police were there. And the police didn't ask anything about this. We kept asking him to take away the settler because this is how it started. It's because of this settler come every day to these crops. And he just kept ignoring. And uh, like an hour later, after while the army were invading the, the houses in one, one jeep that 
headed up to the to the place of the in Mufagara, and like he spoke to the settlers for for in the for with the settler for a while. I heard my name really loud by the settlers while he's speaking to the to the soldiers because they know me very well. So the soldier, like the officer, came directly to 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 us where we're standing and asked me if I was there. I told him yes. So he just catch me from my arm, taking me for a few meters away from everyone, asked me to give him the ID and the phone, and ask another soldier to search my body. And then asked me to like easily to like he said, open your phone and show me what you were filming here. And he showed me that he have a picture from the settler that took it when that to prove that I was filming this accident. So I told him I can't this is my journalist ID, I'm a journalist and you can't just do it like this. There is two police cars here and didn't ask anything and they're supposed to investigate this case. And he said, yes, but this is this will take time to, to go through the law to take the videos from you and I don't have time. So you have two ways or to give me the phone now, open it and, and give me the videos or there is a longer way to take this materials from your phone. I said to him, this is still illegal and you can't just do it like it. She said, okay. He called another like army jeep that came there like after one minute almost and asked the soldiers just to take me away and they bring me behind the jeep. The hands start handcuffing me. The sucker still like there next to the soldiers. Start to cursing me and this is good for me uh, to be arrested and the soldiers were smiling and raising his middle finger. And they just put me inside the jeep, also covered my eyes and start to drive. And then they transfer me from a jeep to a car. And then to the military base, they make me sit on, on chair in the sun. And now it's really, there's heat wave that's going on in this past week. And soldiers were really laughing and drinking water. And they come like close to my ear, like, and telling me a dog and these things and ask me like bullshits and tell me like, why well, you don't go to Jenin if you're working to Jazeera. Uh, they were like, just like, it's fun for them, I guess. This is why they were doing it. After like several hours, they just, the officer came back and put me in the Jeep and take me back to the entrance of Itwani and filmed me. He said, want to film that I'm giving you back your phone and ID and just, I was released. Later on, they said that I was taken only for testimony, for investigation, which is all lies. Like it was like kind of just uh, punishment that they want, wanted to do it to me for like filming that. I mean, this is like part of the daily life here. Like I am because of because journalists, because I have this uh, press card really brought attention, but literally there is like almost daily of this going on, especially for the normal Palestinians, for shepherds, like how they're, and it's part of how they're stealing land. This is, I back to say it because it is, it is like this, like many, many shepherds around, around here, Masafiriyatta and in the South Hebron area in Jordan Valley. So settler go graze in their field and called the army said, he was throwing stone at me. And just a simple shepherd that want to graze his sheep, the soldiers would put him like in a military jeep and start driving with him, driving him like around, beating them up, putting them in military base. And then at midnight, they release them or release them close to a settlement or no, nowhere uh, and making them like suffering going back home. And a lot of time they will arrest them, take them to the police. It's really fake, like 
uh, issues. And then they would take them several days to the jail and then they have to pay like thousands of shekels. And this shepherd will start to think if I'm paying all this price just to feed my sheep and my sheep want to, to get like food for my family and I'm paying really higher than what I'm getting from this land and from this grazing. So they would give up and why they would go rescue their like uh, life resource and their life in this in this occupation because th and this is became like the, the ugly thing about it is normalized this like daily harassments and violating the the international law international human rights law so yeah thank you for for um putting that into that context for us um uh, first of all i'm sorry that that happened to you on Saturday and that they held you with your hands bound and your eyes covered in the hot sun and in a heat wave um, and, and held you in that way. And, and uh, as you've written and, and spoked about and, and uh, spoken about, and, and as, um, as we've been talking about over here at the foundation, also that this increase of Israeli uh, harassment of Palestinian journalists. Um, and of course, there's the, the, the killing of uh, Shirin Abu Akhle a year ago, um, which just stands out as it as it should um and then what you just said this is the this this the normalizing of this kind of harassment and the experience of of shepherds uh and this normalizing of harassment by the settlers and by the military and and it makes them question whether or not they can even stay and and so i i want to ask you both to talk about um so you said that you wanted to write this article because a, a year ago in, in May, the Supreme Court made a decision that after, after two decades of a legal process, the Supreme Court greenlit the expulsion of the communities in from the firing zone in, in Masafriyata. Um, you wrote in your piece, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna quote you back to you. You said, the mass expulsion of Masafriyata's residents has not yet been carried out but the lives of all the all the people of these villages have changed beyond recognition in the months since the ruling. Will you talk to us about those changes? What's changed in the past year? Yeah, um, I, I you want to start a little bit. Yeah, so so maybe a little before that, I just hearing Basel talk, I, I was thinking in my head, you know how impossible it is for an Israeli journal, journalist to, to get that kind of treatment from, 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 from soldiers. And it's, it's literally, it's, it's, not just, it's not just a matter of discrimination um, of a personal choice. There, there are, you know, a settler and, 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 and a shepherd from here are under two different systems of law. I don't know if the listeners know, know this, you know, so. so tell tell us, lay, lay it all out for us. Yeah, so so Basel, I mean, we're sitting here together, right? And we're both journalists and we're both writing for the same media outlets. Um, but Basel is living under a military law and I'm living under a civil law, which means, for example, there are a lot of differences. For example, if you're under a military law, you can be a 12-year-old child and you can be sent to prison for up to six months. An Israeli child cannot, you know, that he's 12 years old. A soldier can, can stop you and search you um, with no warrant. Just, just any decision, military law allows that. You cannot do that to, to, to an Israeli journalist. Um, you can be, without seeing a judge, you, from, from, from between 72 to 96 hours under the military law, you can be arrested. Soldiers can take you. 
um, with, before you even meet a judge. It, it can be for no reason. I mean, I remember this happens to Basel's father, for example. Many times soldiers come to his home, they take his father, and then they release him, you know, 48 hours later with, with no interrogation, with nothing. Um, and really it's, 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 it's a very systemized uh, sort of thing and 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 it's not and it's not random that that you know Israeli journalists or or Israeli settlers are getting one treatment and Palestinians are getting another. I mean, um, and and I think I think this for me for what this is one reason why um, a lot of people are calling this regime that is in an apartheid regime. Um, and there are many reasons. And and, and I think this the story of Masafariata and, and to answer to answer your question, Sarah, um, um, shows shows it as well. Um, yeah, but, but I just wanted to make that note and, and yeah. And, and so, um, yeah, so as you said, I mean, just, just to give maybe a little bit of historical context. So, um, Israel has been trying to forcefully transfer and evict the residents living in Masafariata, um, from, from, from the first days of, of, of the occupation. This is a very, very long process. Um, this region was already, you know, a month after the West Bank was occupied, it was already highlighted, you know, in the Ailon plan as a region that Israel wanted to keep um, um, un under its control, a, re a region it wanted to annex because it is very close to the border. It's in the southern tip of the West Bank. Um, and, you know, I, I won't get into the entire history because we don't have that much time, but of course, you know, settlements were built here and a lot of violence related, I mean, we're, we're a few minutes away near Russell's home from Havat Ma'on, which is an, a, really an extremist outpost. You can Google the name and, and, and really, you know, history of violence and, 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 and forced expulsion. And in 1999, so, so that's 24 years ago, um, Ehud Barak was, was the prime minister of Israel. It was a government that had also left-wing parties such as Meretz, um, and they, uh, had had a mass forced transfer of of most of the residents of Masafariata. They actually took them from their homes. We interviewed some of them, some of the older people that remember this for the article. They placed them onto trucks. They they went village after village, and they they ethnically cleansed seven hundred people from 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 this region. Um, and the reason. The reason they did so in, in this, this really you know twisted way was because negotiations were happening between Israel and the and, and the PLO. And, and because of that, you know, this, this twisted logic that you know, they want to keep this region under Israeli control. So if they if they 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 use this violence to, to ethnically cleanse the Palestinians, the chances that in a final you know negotiation this region remains under Israeli control is higher. Um, and, and these 700 people, you know, hundreds of families were expelled. They they went to the Israeli high court. So, you know, Palestinians, you know, they cannot vote. They they cannot influence the, the laws that control them. But the Israeli high court um, took uh, responsibilities related to the occupied territories in 1967, and it, it and it allowed historically it allowed Palestinians to appeal against the Israeli military's decisions. Um, Before you say was, more I mean, about the court, but, yeah, but I, I, yeah, yeah. this is this history is excellent, and I'm going to ask you to 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 keep going. I just I want to interject just for one quick moment to say that, um, and to to uh, offer our listeners that we'll have links, of course, to the article where you where you talk about all of this, but also to our podcasts and discussions we've had on the Supreme Court decision, 
Um, and also with uh, someone who was ethnically cleansed, who was removed, forced expulsion in that 1999 expulsion, uh, when he was a, a, a small child, Ali Awad, who is someone we've had on before and talks about his family and has written about his family. And you, um, Basel, the two of you are part of a, a project of writing about uh, Masafar Yatta together um, that we also really love to highlight. And we're going to have links to all of this. And so I'm just interrupting you to, to remind, to tell the listener that um, there is so much more to dig into and to see. Um, Yuval, you're doing a beautiful job of uh, summarizing and presenting this case and this, and this story to us. So. Um, Please continue. So Palestinians who can't vote for representation, who have no political representation under, under occupation, have historically been able to, to appeal to the Israeli Supreme Court. And after the 1999 expulsion, they went to the Supreme Court. Now, now pick up for us. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and just, just if you want to imagine how that looks like, because it's really shocking for me, it was at least to see, you know, the Supreme Court especially after seeing so many home demolitions and so much violence happening here on the ground. You go to Jerusalem, to this squeaky clean place, you know, with beautiful, you know, they made this, uh, you know, this amazing architecture. And these judges were, you know, wearing these robes and are very like formal looking. And in the crowd, in the seats, you have soldiers sitting down who are actually expelling these people. And you have farmers from Masafriyata who, 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 who don't speak Hebrew, which is the language of the occupier. And the entire court, everything is, is in Hebrew. And, and, they're, and, and it's talking about their expulsion. And they are sitting there not understanding a word. And, and it's really, I mean, to me, you know, reading about colonialism, reading about the history of, 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 of how these sorts of courts look like, that you, you know, that you have the, the, the judges and the prosecutors, and, and, and they're talking about the fate of people who don't speak the language, who have no voting rights. So just to say that, you know, the structure itself is, is, not, is not a structure of justice. And even if the Israeli high court is called the high court of justice, there can be no justice when, when, when this is the structure that it is built. And yeah, and, and, and then, you know, and then, and then, and, and then the courts, uh, they appealed to the courts. The court said, okay, look, um, we're gonna discuss this. If it's legal for the army, to expel you from, from your homes in order to train on your lands. We didn't mention this, but the army declared uh, um, all of Masafariata as a military firing zone in, the, in, in 1980. So, and that was a tool to expel the, the, the residents. Um, and they said, okay, you can go back to your homes and we're gonna discuss it and let you know, you know if, 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 if there's a green light to, to expel you so the army can train on your lands, or, or, or no. And this actually carried on for what, Basel, 22 years, right? Yeah. This, this, um, and, and, and the decision in May that we can get into later was, you know, we're, we're actually giving the army that green light to, 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 to expel everybody. And if it happens, it will be the, 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 the largest single act of expulsion since, the, since June 1967, basically, when a lot of expulsions happened when Israel occupied the West Bank. And since that decision, a lot has changed. And maybe you, Basel, can say yeah, so since uh, since the decision, I think Israel sent still like don't want to get the uh, as they did in 1999 to put these people in trucks and take them away as a former army doing it and will be like really hard pictures for them as a, a state that claiming that there is democracy and uh, they respect human rights and uh, humans while they 
do not do at all for when it comes to the Palestinians, but they're claiming this at least for the Americans and for the uh, EU countries. So what, what they started doing since last May until now, it's over than one year. So first they did like two, two months of military exercises and exercises just to put pressure and just to scare out the people and to terrorize their life. In this like military exercises, when it's when it's going on, no one can can literally move out of their homes when it's going on. And even if the army allow it, no one will move. Why? Because they were putting targets, for example, in the road where the people work and they let the soldiers shot at them. Three tanks to four like bulldozers were driving from a village to another above the crops between the houses. And they put like expulsion in the in 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 the in the in the ground and the in the land and then they expose them uh, and this is very like scary to the residents of Masafriata because they don't know what's happening yet. Literally, there is like a foreign army that everyone know and believe the the goal of this army just to expel them out of their homes that using like guns and uh, military things like around their houses. So during this, for example, one. One like one day they were like shooting like big bullets from the tanks as part of their training, and one of the bullets hit uh, a family home when they were when the family was sitting inside their home, and they lied about it that this is there was nothing like shot toward the house from these tanks until we cut the metal because homes like uh, roof here made by metals until we cut it like off and we took this bullet outside and it looked like a big bullet that only comes from a tank. Then they didn't have another, any choice, but they still said it maybe came from the, uh, the, the, the training. Like, look how the lies that they're using, like who else could have a tank around, around this area if not you? Uh, like, what do you mean by maybe? Also, they, they, they set up like metal gates in front of two communities and they would search like the school students and school students bag harassing them asking them for IDs preventing their teacher to enter to the to the villages confiscating teachers cars confiscating lawyers and journalists and activists and human rights organization cars under pretext that this is like uh, a <clears throat> firing zone like confiscating these cars is to to make it impossible for for these lawyers and journalists and anyone to come and visit and stay in solidarity with this community within these like villages in order to cut them from the world and not to prevent the people from outside to come and show at least solidarity and to sit with these families and more important for also for us as journalists to, to prevent us from being able to go document and film these military exercises or the demolitions or, and it's crazy how when we look from far away with Zoom cameras, we see like settlers go with four by four cars and motorcycle and military jeeps, the only ones that moving in these communities and driving and settlers just having fun with motorcycles and the, on the hills and mountains and they don't confiscate anything for them. They also did a massive days of demolitions, like over than 60 structures, homes and properties for the Palestinians. And I want to speak about one one about one of these demolitions that happening happened in November in a village called Spy, where they where they come to a primary school in 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 a normal day while the students were inside this their classrooms and were like having their lessons, a convey of of 
occupation, the occupation military came with a with a bulldozer, and they ran to the doors, slammed the doors on the kids inside them, and another group of soldiers came, like start to push us away as journalists and parents, and start throw sun grenades. It was really for me first time to to witness this and document like how crazy when the first sun grenade like bombed the kids start to open the windows of the of their classes and jump from it crying and rushing to to the to their home and like just the soldiers made a wall around this school and another the soldiers also go inside and see the bags and the books and balloons the chairs and the tables of these students and really putting them inside the this military trucks and cars and confiscating them and after that, they called this bulldozer that was owned and driven by a settler who just living in a legal outpost just nearby, who just smashed this school in, in, in a few minutes. And it's crazy that we are filming this. This is what this army is doing to us. And to compare it like with the, with the support that they're, they're getting, at least from the United States, from the Americans' money, to, to be used in this way, like against to destroy our schools and homes that prevent us to have water or electricity or to renovate, renovate like all our fight is to have normal life, is to have homes and water and electricity, roads and schools just as humans. And all these billions of dollars sent to be, to you, to be used in this way. And still like in, in, in the US government and in the Congress, people like keep saying Israel has the right to defend itself. While nothing here is done with Israel's security, nothing is threatening their security. Like what, what the matter to come demolish the, the school? What there is no relationship with the school and with the water well, with the with the house and and security. All it's happening just to steal our land and to give it to the settlers. And this is this is what has been going on all the time. And this is what we were shouting out all the time to tell this. This is what's happening. This is the truth on the ground that must stop. Thank you for all of that and um, for being so clear and giving us such a clear equation at the end that the demolition of the school and the harassment of the people is not about security. Uh, it's a, it's about confiscation of, of land. Um, I want to just take one one second to reflect to you both what I what I heard you say about the last year um, in particular, which is that there has been this um, the, the live fire training, the military training with 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 tanks and live fire around the houses on the in, in on the roads around the villages. That's one thing. There have been an increase in in checkpoints and in stopping people and in harassing people um, so that they can't get from place to place. And you're saying that that's to keep people out, people who are coming to show solidarity, people journalists who would be coming to to document, but also to harass, as you as you said, like teachers and students and uh, lawyers, people who are coming to, to do the work of, of life in, in these villages, um, confiscation of cars so that people really can't get around. And, um, and this is an area where uh, cars really can matter to get from, from hill to hill and village to village. Um, and then you talked about the this this increase in home and building demolitions and and especially this uh, this school in in, in Sfai and and um, this terrifying scene of the stun grenades and the children scrambling out of the windows and um, and then watching their their school be demolished, um, which is horrifying. Um, 
And then also the ongoing settler violence. And so I, I'm going to ask you in a moment about the settler violence, but let's go back to the home demolitions, uh, home and building demolitions for a moment, because you also talked about the um, demolition of the school and other structures like a structure for sheep. So you wrote in the in the nation piece, you wrote um, the primary tool Israel uses is the systematic denial of building permits. And then you you cited uh, data from the Israeli NGO BIMCOM, uh, Planners for Planning Rights, where they say that out of the hundreds of requests for building permits that the army received between the year 2000 and the year 2020, the army denied over 99% of requests in Area C. And Area C is 60, 61% of the, of the West Bank, uh, and it's the area that is uh, where Masafriyata is. So... Can you, will you uh, unpack this? I, I imagine we might have some listener who says, well, the army had every right to destroy those buildings because those buildings were built without permits. So unpack for us what it looks like to live in communities where the army, you have to apply to the to your military occupation administration for the right to build. They deny over 99% of requests and then the army can uh, demolish those buildings as as they wish. Talk to us about that the the building permit regime in Masafriyata. Okay. Um, yeah. So I mean, I, I think I think for for me, I mean, the way I'm 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 looking at it is that they 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 designed the law in such a way that it will be impossible for certain people to live, Palestinians, and it is very, very possible for other people, the Israelis, the settlers who are here, to, to flourish, to, to live very, very well. And, and this is a very cruel system, not only, at least the, the way I'm, I'm, for me, the way I'm looking at it, not only because of, you know, you have people living in a village with, they're not allowed to connect to running water, so they have to bring tanks of water that might get destroyed as well and pay a lot of money. They pay, they're actually, you know, they're paying the most for water. Um, they, they, pay they pay eight times more for a cube of water in Tel Aviv even. So because it costs, because they're not in the connected to the water line, they have to, to take it with tractors to the villages. You're not allowed to be connected to the electricity line, even though often the electricity lines were built on your own land that was confiscated from you and they pass over you. For example, the village of Susie, you you're sitting in your village on your private land, you know, and you have no electricity. You have to use solar panels that often don't work or a generator, which is also expensive. And you see the settlement next to you and you see the electricity lines, they pass right over you. But you're, you know, it's, it's illegal for you to connect to them. Um, the roads are—you're not allowed. I mean, you drive in your car, and and the car. I mean, you know, I've been—you know—just being here for the past five years and driving around. My car got ruined three times. You know, you, you constantly pay for cars because because the roads are bumpy everywhere. There are rocks everywhere, and you're not—and you see the the roads the set the settlers have right next to you, right? And it's and it's and it's completely paved and complete. But but the roads your village in your are illegal. You know so. And the reason why this is so cruel is not 
at least the way I see it, not only because of, of, of these, you know, apartheid differences, but because the law, when it isn't designed that way, it's designed to make the Palestinians criminals, you know? It's designed, it's, it's gonna say, you, you, you have to, you know, you're driving in your car and you're bringing water and you're building a school and you have to do it at night, secretly. And, and you know, and, and, and soldiers can invade your village and stop you and arrest you as if you were, as if you were a criminal. While the system is the criminal, the system that is dividing people, that, that is creating this apartheid, that is preventing people from the most basic rights. But the fact that they use law to do this, I think it has, you know, this, this, this for me, it is this emotional thing of, 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 of you, are, you are forcing people to, to live as if they were criminals, to hide from the law, because the law is a weapon that is used against them. And, and of course, the statistics are obvious. Like if, if a listener is saying, well, why do they build legally? Well, because the army does not allow them to build legally because the army refuses, you know, there are thousands of requests for building permits. The army refuses all of them. It blocks off, I mean, you know, the, there is only such small fraction, less than 0.5% of the land in area C that Palestinians can, can access. And all of this is private Palestinian land. This is not a, this is not a question of debate. The army acknowledges that Masafariata is private Palestinian land, yet they do not uh, allow its development. It's a very, very clear, I mean, you, you have to be able to see it in your eyes, but it's a very, very clear uh, apartheid. Uh, um, yeah. Yes, I mean, the, the law, it's, it's all, all laws in the world, like law in general, just made to control the life of the people and to create a system for the for the state for the for for its own people, so for that the the the, the all the legislations council in the in, in in the world like in in the U.S. everywhere in the world the people choose their legislator. So in order to choose the laws that controls their life, the laws that they have to respect, the laws that they have to pay the price if they are violating it. But here for us, but it seems like back to say this is we are under a. Uh, uh, a foreign army control that do everything, all the laws only to make our ex existence on our land illegal and making the all everything about set their settlers and uh, the <coughs> their settlements and outposts and farms are legitimized and everything here is legalized. Uh, but they like the, the settlers is voting for these laws in order to expel us out from here and they can't have the water as much as they want to for example if you if you compare it today the village of Mufagar where this have where this attack happened and uh, the outpost of Havat Ma'on you would go around Havat Ma'on you see van huge vineyard uh, farm a huge cow farm a huge sheep farms chicken farms uh, and cherries. This is just around Havat Ma'on and this is a huge farm that's taking so much water every day. While the people, the people who live in the village of Mufagara can't have this clean water to drink, not, not only to give that, not also to give a clean water to their sheep or water, sorry, to, to their sheep. You understand that today we are in a position you can't compare it between the humans who live in in Mufagara and the, the the cows and the sheep of the settlers and their farms that you you would pass in the night next to in the road next to to these like farms and you would see like yellow lights lighting on these animals and you'd go above a village and you'll see how dark it is because there is no light so all the system here is is created in order to 
to uh, back to say like to unlegitimize us and us being the ones who was violating the laws and everything about these settlers is legal and the state is facilitating everything in order to build and expand and this is this is how how they are killing like the two-state solution by changing the facts on the ground, by changing the de facto and the status quo and the ground in order to, and they are now saying saying it lit, like clearly that we are doing this in order to, pre to prevent the Arabs to have their, their state next to the state of Israel. And it's, it's not a new thing. It's like, it's a lie to say it's just because of this government, because now the settlers are in the, are in the government. It starts this idea within the start of the bringing like before they were telling the international community it's a it's a temporary occupation until the Palestinians will be able to take their state and then the, our military will leave from here but in the 80s they start to build settlements and bring civil israeli civilians to live inside these settlements and from that moment there is no temporary occupation it's a colonial colonization project in order to whip out Palestinian villages and to build settlements and this is have been going on now for over than 40 years that they are doing it and each 20 year they will take new policy that's to to make it like higher and to make the Palestinian pay higher price in order to to and this like in the last 3 years there is a massive of of establishing a new outpost by the settlers. And this year, like, especially there is like four Palestinian communities that they left their village and they destroyed their homes by their hands and go look for another places only because of the settlers pogroms in the first line. And because the state is investing in these settlers pogroms and settlers daily harassment and settlers physical violence against Palestinians to destroy these crops, or to burn, burning houses and cars and like making the the the, the Palestinians living in a fear situation that there is no they're not in unsafety like a place and they the only way they they should live why because the settlers come do what they do and then the army don't stop it they they also come and support these settlers and back them and shot at the Palestinians who try to to defend themselves. And the police would like ask ask if you are speaking about law, ask how many settlers is arrested from Hawara. There is hundreds of settlers burning an entire like town. How many of them are in jail? How many of them like seeing a judge because of what they did? There was hundreds of settlers, not one settler that they couldn't know who were he like doing this thing. Thomas Aya the same thing. There's no one single settler that facing a charge because of burning Palestinian home. Why is because the state wants this to happen in order to expel the Palestinians out. So, so laws here are made only to, to expel us out also for, from here. Thank you both for 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 all of that um, and and Basel for giving us the context of the the recent attacks in Tormasaya and in uh, Huara and those pogroms committed against Palestinians and and uh, the way that the army facilitates those pogroms either in some cases as we've seen from from video and from other allegations some soldiers actively taking part or um, it not preventing the settlers and as you said not arresting um, or, or 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 stopping any of them. Um, in Masafriyata in particular, you just said that uh, the last three years there have been new a, a new method of, of outposts. And I wanted to ask you uh, to talk a, about the expansion of settlements and settler violence in, in Masafriyata. 
um, and and what it looks like. You started by talking about the this um, this this uh, violence of the settlers going out to the where shepherds are are trying to to uh, to bring their sheep to feed to to have the sheep graze, and settlers coming out and and harassing them and preventing them from actually being able to graze the sheep. Um, or settlers taking over the the uh, the water source. So tell us a little bit about what the expansion of settlements and the settler violence looks like in Masafriata now. Yeah, so I mean, maybe we can talk about one specific community um, in Masafriata that Right, maybe we talk about the Ruidata community yes. and what happened there. Yeah, so because this is very, very recent and, and very troubling. And um, so Widade, it's a community in Masafriata, a very small community, um, one big family that you know is living on their land, a lot of children in, in this community. Around, you know, there is a family that I know of, like with 10 children there. And uh, uh, this new type of settlement that we are seeing all over Masafariata and generally in the West Bank, which is called the farm outpost, um, which, you know, over the past five years, this is this is one of the main trends happening in the West Bank of extreme violence, um, which is so you, you, settlers are allegedly receiving from from the state tens and thousands of dunams of land to make these farms on. And basically they it's they bring a bunch of thugs to the farm. Usually, you know, it's like six, seven guys who are like all young, um, all armed. They have like M16s or, or pistols and they're controlling like, you know, they, they specifically choose locations that they know there are far, like, like uh, Palestinian villages of, of, of farmers and herders in those locations. And then every morning they take out a drone and they wait and look where the Palestinian herder is grazing with their sheep. Wait, every morning they, they take out a drone, you a, said. A drone with a camera. Yeah, drones a drone with a camera are everywhere. Settlers are operating them everywhere now for this to spy on Palestinians who are building. It's nice. This is very, they actually received last year, the settlement municipalities received tens of millions of shekels from the state to, to, to purchase these drones and, and, and have people who are doing this monitoring of, of Palestinians. So, and now they're going to receive even more. So this is also a state sort of issue that they're using the settlers as a, you know, a physical way of, of surveillance. And these farming outposts um, are, yeah, taking out these drones or, you know, waking up in the morning and taking their own sheep and just using violence, you know, sometimes it is just with loud music or with like an, an axe or a bat to just kick out the sheep of the Palestinian herders or attack them. And other times, often it's physical violence. There are hundreds of hundreds of these attacks happening every year. I mean, you, there's statistics like in 2022, more than a thousand such and this is what happened to this small community of Widade, right? This, this new farming outpost that was suddenly created right next to them. And settlers every morning, you know, they go to their sheep and they, and they kick them out. They, and and, and, and one, one time there, there, was, there was, they actually entered the village. This was on video, armed with M16s, 
and you, you see the children crying and they threaten, you know, they threaten the father of the family. If you stay here, we were going to kill you. And they, and he said, this was not on video, but this is his testimony that they actually came at night and, the, and, and they entered their home at night and they put a gun to their heads and told them, leave this place. Now, all of this is happening when the army, the soldiers, are not only doing nothing to, to protect the Palestinian communities, they're actually backing up the settlers. And as Basel mentioned before, this father in Widade of the community, I think he was arrested like, you know, a few times. Like the settlers are entering his village and attacking him. And, you know, he, he's the one who is calling the army, the Palestinian is calling the army and the army ends up arresting the, 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 the victim who is being attacked. And after all of this violence, what actually happened, I don't know, I think it was a week ago or something, the family decided to leave. The, the, the family took, they, they left their land, you know, they took their stuff, the land they were born in, they've been living there for so long, and they left. And this, over the past two months, has happened in four different places in the West Bank. It happened in, in, in Ras Atin and then Samia, which is in the Jordan Valley area. It happened in Baqa, which is a village in Nikhmas, in near the Ramallah area, more in the central West Bank. And now it happened in, in Widade, here in, in Masafariata area. And there are tens, if not hundreds of communities all over the West Bank who are now facing the same sort of pressures. And this is, settler violence has existed for such a long time, but, but this is, you know, the, the, the way it is now, the settlers are actually entering the villages with guns. You know, they're actually, you know, it's not just happening in the fields, they're actually entering the homes of people. Um, yeah, and it's just it takes so much power for for this for so many communities to just stay to stay on the land under under this this extreme pressure, and and when they lose the land, what actually happens? And I'll finish with this. And I mean, what actually happens when you know usually? And this is, shows you just how the system works. When a Palestinian farmer or herder loses their land, it's not like they can go to another land because Israel controls all of the farming lands. So what usually happens is they have to go to the city and rent an apartment there. And they lose their income as farmers and as herders because there is no place for them to, to go around with the sheep or to plant. And then what happens is in order to make a living, they are forced to ask the army for a permit and go work in construction for Israelis in, in, in Tel Aviv and whatnot, you know, and build homes. And, and it just shows you how, and the, settlement, the settlers have the farms. So it just shows you how like, you know, the settlers are becoming you know, they are controlling the land. They are, they are turning themselves into the farmers while, while the Palestinians are kicked out and they go build homes for, for... So it's an entire complex system of oppressions that's, that's going on here. But these farming outposts, I mean, probably, uh, yeah, uh, is, is this new, uh, yeah. Thank, thank uh, you for describing it so, so, so clearly to us and um, and the system of, of what it looks like when you take people who live on land and make them landless, uh, what happens to them yeah. after that. Um, Basil wrote about the, uh, the the end of the community in, in Ain Samia. He wrote an article about it. And what really stuck with me in your article, Basil, when you wrote about that on, on 972, and of, of course I'll, I'll, put a, I'll put a link into the show notes here so our listeners can see your article, is, is um, that you talked about how it affected you to to witness these people dismantling their homes and um, as they fled settler violence. And one of the things that I'm so grateful to you, I, I'm I admire 
both of you so much for the, the work that you do um, and for your, your, your fortitude, your strength and being able to face these realities so clearly every day and, and, and to describe them, to articulate them, to share them with a broader audience. And, and Basel, you did that uh, in, in Semya. It, it's, it is, it is such a gift uh, for people who aren't in Masafriyata and can't go there and, 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 and visit and see and, and be with you to get to learn and understand what's happening um, from you and, and, and from you both so clearly and on, and on so many levels. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful and, and thank you both for that. I, I wanted to ask you, um, you end your article with a call for solidarity and the, the article in the nation. Um, and, and Basel, you said it on this on this podcast already in the, in the beginning, a little while ago, you talked about wanting international attention. I wanted to ask you, like, what do you want to ask of this audience? What does solidarity look like to you? What are you looking for? To be honest, for me, it makes me crazy. As I mentioned, when I, I talked about the demolition school, not just solidarity, and Americans specifically, they need to watch their money. They need their, their government is playing a big role here. It's not a government that's doing nothing. They have the role. Israel today, I can see, is literally just care about the, 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 the American government, whatever the government it is, a Biden administration or another one. So people in America should 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 see what their money is doing to us. Like aside from the the military aid that they give to Israel each year. There is also seven Israeli settler, extremist settlers organizations that are registered in the U.S. as charities. We give him one of them and other bunch of, of governments. There is all, uh, actually a, a campaign not on our deem, uh, which is in New York. And these settlers organizations getting each year $60 million from Americans to, to, to do these things to us, to the as they did to the family in Wadadi, the families in Ain Samia, what they're doing every day is because of your money. It's because of these millions of dollars that comes from America for these settlers to do and to dig the mountains and make them flat and create like a huge farms on it just to destroy this, the, the family's life, the Palestinian family's life in, this, in these communities and to, make, and to drive them away from, from their land. So they need to, to stop and to see what their money, what their government is doing toward toward us here, uh, as as a Palestinian living under the occupation. They, they, so this this is in the first step. This is, should be like done by the Americans, and the, the solidarity is like we are calling like for two state solution against the occupation and the settlements are illegal. But we are, what are you doing for that? What's this government doing for that? On the ground, the facts and the de facto. Are being changed by only the Israeli soldiers and settlers on the ground by expelling Palestinian families and carrying out these massive like demolitions in in all over West Bank and East Jerusalem. So condemnations are not working that you are doing since all these decades. The same condemnations and the same posts are important but are not working, and we are no one getting like a positive like results from this condemnation. So it's time to do actions, to act against this in order to, 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 to stop it. If you are claiming that you are protecting the international law, the human rights laws, and you are like, so you have to do 
actions in order to stop what's going on here. And I believe today all, all Palestinians, like I'm really disappointed and hopeless more than ever. I like if you walk in the villages in Area C, what they are facing from the settlers, they would they would tell you in, since like 50 years they've never been under pressure like this. People really are hopeless. And for me, I believe today the only way is really to stop this from going on is a serious international community pressure on the Israeli government to stop it and even like to take actions against this, against like the apartheid, against this system, against like keep like millions of Palestinians living under uh, uh, foreign military laws and controls. Thank you for that. And, and, um, and for your honesty and clarity about what it's like in, in area C today um, and this, this sense of hopelessness, you, you wrote about, I mean, you've written about this as sort of a, a, a slow motion expulsion without putting people on trucks again, like they did in 1999. Uh, that would look bad for an international audience, but forcing people through pressure to, to, um, to use a phrase from American uh, politics to self-deport, this idea of that, that just forcing people forcing people out. Um, thank you for for your clarity. Thank you for your your continuing to to do what you're doing to report and to, and to share. Um, is there anything else you want to tell our audience before we go? For me, no. Thank you. Yeah, for me neither. Thank you. And uh, I mean, if you have any question, but yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm so truly grateful to you both um, for your work, for your time, for taking time. I know you're sitting at the end of a very long, hot day um, and uh, you've taken time to be with us and to share all of this with us. I want to have you back on to continue. We are going, FMEP, the foundation has been very focused on Musafriyata and on how we can support people living there and and, and um, resisting and trying to live normal lives under these horrifying conditions that you have just described to us um, so 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 clearly. Um, and so I'm grateful to you both for taking the time today and, and I look forward to having you um, back on the podcast at at, at another time. Um, and I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today and encourage you to check out our website www.fmep. Org. I'm going to have, we're going to have a lot of, of links and resources to um, many of the articles and, uh, and reports that we mentioned today and other webinars and podcasts. I feel like so much of, of what uh, Yuval and Basel talked about today, every line could have a footnote with uh, 10 human rights reports and articles behind it, describing in detail um, and, and with photographs. Uh, and maps. So you can see all of it. You can see everything that they're talking about. And I want to encourage all of our listeners to really dig into this material and stay up to date on what's happening in Masafriyata, uh, on the threats to this community, um, and on stay up to date in general on Israel-Palestine. Uh, check out our website for many more resources. Uh, and thank you for listening to the podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. You can also watch these podcasts on YouTube. Um, thank you again, Basil and Yuval. Thank you to our listeners. And with that, I am Sarah Ann Minkin signing off for now. Thank you again. And take care. Bye.